I'd like to begin by getting us to imagine something together. Imagine a beautiful old city. Think York or Durham or Oxford. It's a maze of tight little streets, some of them cobbled. There's lots to see, an ornate cathedral, an ancient university, high city walls and elegant bridges over the river. There's lots to do, art galleries, museums, bookshops, restaurants, all crammed into a very small area. It's a type of place tourists flock to. Indeed, the old city has got much busier recently since winning a great heritage award. To help the city cope with its new fame and ever-increasing popularity, a set of town planners have been called in. They've been tasked with designing a new set of road signs. These signs are to help people drive around the old city as smoothly as possible, keeping congestion to a minimum while seeing all the great sights. The planners have been given a challenging task. The council doesn't just want the ordinary road signs found in the highway code. They want road signs fitting to their setting. Signs that match the historic and award-winning location they are pointing to. These signs need to be designed specifically. The planners accept the challenge and go away to their work. A few months later they come back and show the council what they've come up with. What a job they've done. These signs are both elegant and informative. They're clearly new, but they draw on the old buildings around them. These signs are fully in keeping with the place and the council are thrilled with them. However, when the signs are put up around the old city, a problem develops. When the tourists see the new signs, they're so impressed by them, they want to stop and take photos. They're seen as works of art in and of themselves. And people want selfies taken standing alongside them, which can be instantly uploaded on social media. It's got to the point where cars are stopping in the middle of the narrow streets and people are getting out to admire the new signs. As a result, rather than relieving congestion around the city, the streets are clogged up worse than before. Many people are now missing out on the delights of the city because they're stuck in traffic all day. The signs themselves are great, but people are missing out on the real attraction because they've become obsessed by them. It's all a little sad. The final verse of our reading said this, this was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. John's Gospel, which we are reading through together on Sunday evenings, could be described as the book of signs. There are seven of them in total, and everything else John writes hangs around them. John very deliberately chose this word, sign. To John, a sign is something more than a miracle. A sign directly points to something, something important. In his gospel, all the signs that John records point 
to Jesus. They reveal to us bit by bit who Jesus really is and what he came to do. When we think about it, miracles are actually fairly useless if we don't allow them to become a sign. They're rather short-lived if we don't allow them to lead us on to Jesus. For the boy who was dramatically healed in this passage is not still with us, is he? Sure, he was saved from terminal illness on this day 2,000 years ago, but he did still die a few years later, just like all human beings do. If the miracle had not led him and his family to Jesus, they would have been left no better off than anyone else. We must not make the mistake of the car driving Taurus in my illustration. We must not miss out on the real beauty and the real treasure for a moment's distraction. Our faith must be based on Jesus himself, not just the miracles he performed back then, and not just the dramatic answers to prayer that we sometimes see today. Indeed, true faith is not about what we can get from God in the form of healing or spectacular entertainment. True faith recognises that we exist for his benefit, to give him the worship and the glory that he deserves. And for all these reasons, John's Gospel is the book of seven signs, not just the book of miracles. So what does the sign in our passage point towards? What are we to understand about Jesus from the dramatic healing of the official's son? If we remember back to John chapter 2, the first sign that John recorded was Jesus turning water into wine. And we saw how that story was about much more than just saving the blushes of a Middle Eastern family and giving wedding guests a good time, although both those things are important. No, by taking the water that the Jews used for ritual cleansing and turning that into wine, Jesus was showing that he had come to offer a new form of purification. The wine represented his blood, and through his blood, he would cleanse people from their sin and make them ready to take their place at the heavenly banquet. This was what the sign pointed towards, the abundance, forgiveness, and new life found through the cross. So what about this second sign? Well, surely the healing of the official son shows us that God is concerned about all that threatens human life and that he has the power to do something about it. In this story, we discover that Jesus is Lord over all illness and decay, so much so he can reverse and transform those things. Indeed, he has such control over the natural world, he can heal someone from a distance without ever meeting them something no doctor or surgeon can do today. But as I said, this is not just about healing in the present. For if that was the case, it would soon be forgotten, particularly when this boy's friend stood at his grave a few years later. 
like the water into wine, this sign also points forwards to something yet to come. It points to the complete healing and transformation that will come in the kingdom of God. As Jesus raises someone up from their deathbed, he's pointing to the reality of resurrection life. One day we will have a body that is vibrant and strong and beautiful. We will have a body that cannot age or weaken, but is imperishable and eternal. And when that day comes and all is perfected, the Bible says in Revelation, there will be no more mourning or crying or pain. This is the project that God is working on. This is what the sign is pointing towards. By healing the official son, Jesus is showing that he has both the compassion and the power to complete it. So putting all that we've thought about together, let's say this. God can heal in this life. He really can. Many of us have seen him do it. But we're not to get dispirited or downhearted if that healing does not come. For as my four funerals this weekend have proved, what we really need is something more than a quick fix. The Bible shows us that full healing is promised to us in the life to come. And that is why healing is linked to faith. Having wrestled with what this second sign of the gospel is pointing towards, I want us to move on a little now and see something else. For I think rooted in this story is a description of what true faith looks like. The faith that God is looking for. The faith that saves. As the reading begins, it begins with a description of shallow faith. As Jesus sets out from Samaria to return to Galilee, the land that he is from, he warns his disciples. A prophet has no honour in his own country, he says. In other words, for some reason, perhaps over familiarity, the people that see Jesus most regularly will fail to give him the full glory that he is due. I guess it's like the people who live around Balmoral in Scotland. They see royalty every year, indeed several times a year. It's no longer a big deal to them. In fact, it causes a bit of upheaval to their lives when royalty comes to stay. Whereas if the king came to Isla, the island would be overwhelmed with excitement. There'd be planning committees, there'd be all sorts of special events laid on. Now we see this lack of honour from his own people play out exactly as the reading continues. When Jesus arrives back home, the people of Galilee are initially pleased to see him. They welcome him warmly. But very quickly it becomes clear that this welcome is hollow. There is only one reason these people are excited. And it's because they want to see a miracle. They want to see a performance from Jesus. They want to be pleasured for a while. This is a very superficial faith. A faith based on indefinable spiritual experiences and nebulous feelings. A faith based on highs of emotions that sadly come and go. Rather than a faith based on Jesus 
himself. It is a faith based on what the people can get for themselves rather than giving Jesus the honour that he is due. And when Jesus speaks to the official, he speaks to all the Galileans. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. That is no faith at all. I know people who have given up on God because he didn't give them what they wanted. Perhaps in their eyes, he didn't heal their loved one in time or in the way that they'd hoped for. I'm sure you know people who are very similar. This is the faith of the Galileans. A faith purely on our own terms, rather than one rooted in the historical reality of Jesus. But the official shows us how to move beyond that superficial commitment to find a real and much deeper faith. When we meet him, he's understandably desperate. His beloved son is dying and he unashamedly runs up to Jesus and seeks his help. Now, this would have taken some humility on the part of the official. It would have been embarrassing to be seen kowtowing to the son of a a rural carpenter. But when your child is in danger, a parent will do anything. He's got to the stage where he believes that Jesus is his only hope. So he begs him to come and see his son before he dies. Now Jesus sees the father's heart. He sees his humility. He sees his brokenness. And so he replies, go, your son will live. Now what comes next is really important. Verse 50. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. Let's say that together because this is the key line to the story. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. Trusting Jesus at his word really is the key step of faith. The miracles are only signs that the word is true. Visual sermon illustrations, if you like. What matters is hearing Jesus' word and acting accordingly. Faith is not about miracle chasing. It's about putting our full trust in the promises that Jesus has made to us. To this father, he promised that if he went, his son will live. To us, he's promised forgiveness for the past. He's promised his love and his presence in the present. And he's promised us healing and eternal life in the future. It's these promises that matter. The miracles are just added signs that the promises are true. When the official arrives home and finds his boy living, he's naturally overwhelmed with relief. When he then finds out from his servants that the boy recovered at the exact moment that Jesus said the words, your son will live, he knows what he must do in response. He and his whole household bow the knee and fully believe. This now is the fully fledged faith that God looks for. But remember how it started. It started by the official taking Jesus at his word. 
hearing Christ's promise that his son would be well and acting upon it by picking himself up from the dirt and walking home. So what is it that we're to take away from this reading for ourselves this evening? Well, I think we all need to make sure that our faith is based upon the right thing. We need it to rest on the person and the truth of Jesus. Faith needs to be based on the historical reality of his life, his death, his resurrection, and the promises that he made to us. If this is not the case, whenever we come across a challenging situation, our faith will waver and break. We will struggle and miss out. And more importantly, Jesus won't get the honour that he deserves. And I know this to be true. In the times of my life when I've been struggling with depression and anxiety, if my faith was not based on the promises of the Bible, I would have been completely lost. Because when I'm unwell, I don't have any of those warm, fuzzy feelings. I often don't feel anything at all. In those moments, a subjective faith, a faith based on occasional miracles, is no good to me. I need promises that I can hold on to. I need the truth of Jesus. And I also think that we saw this as a church in the final months of the life of Jim. Jim was so unwell, and yet his faith shone like a beacon. Jim knew he would not be healed in this life, but he would be in the life to come. He had a faith not based on signs and wonders, but on the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not put the road signs before the ancient city. Do not put the miracles before the miracle maker. It is only through Jesus that we will find the full healing that we long for.